We've been talking, obviously, about the kingdom of God, and, and we're in the Beatitudes right now. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I'll be reading there in just a little bit. But wanted to give us a little bit of uh, introduction here as we, as we just get right into the message. We're continuing our study on the kingdom of God, and through our study, we've taken different snapshots of the kingdom, uh, so to speak, different camera angles as far as what it looks like. And what we began most recently uh, is, is recent perspective is the, the character of the kingdom. Um, it's, and we got to remember, it's the same kingdom, different perspectives on it. Kingdom doesn't change. God doesn't change. Uh, the fact that, that you know, salvation doesn't change. None of that changes. It's, it's how he's looking at this kingdom of God that, that uh, Christ uh, brought and will eventually, obviously, uh, uh, complete. But now we're talking about, again, the character of the kingdom, those, those who are in it. What is their character like? Jesus taught a much more personal perspective of the kingdom in the servant Sermon on the Mount. He simply spoke on a mountainside to a very large gathering. It was obviously easy for him to be able to project out and talk to all the people that were with him. And it's called the Beatitudes simply because that's Latin for the blessings. And that's how each of the verses start. And so let me read for you verses 1 through 12 to get us acclimated back here again. And then we'll, we'll pick up where we left off last week. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We considered the first three character qualities last week, and I apologize, I missed a slide there, but that's okay. Uh, and and uh, we looked at we looked at um, these first three qualities, um, and so here are the blessings thus far. Blessed are the poor. That's those who understand their spiritual condition before God, and are humble. Uh, and those who are humble have God's favor. Okay, that's the blessing, the promise. They possess the kingdom of heaven. Second one, those uh, blessed are those who mourn. Those who sorrow over sin are blessed. And the promise there is they will be comforted. That's a beautiful thought today, isn't it? And then blessed are the meek. Those who are gentle and kind, again, are blessed of God. The promise isn't, the earth is symbolic of inheriting the kingdom because we know that there will be a point when God's kingdom, Christ, will come to this earth and he will establish his kingdom. And blessing, uh, when we're talking about now reverting back to the Old Testament, had to do with having a part in that land. And so that's the idea here. It's more spiritually minded, but the idea is you have a piece of the kingdom. 
All right? That's the idea. You're a part of the kingdom. So that's what we've done so far. I know that you take a whole message and drive it into three points, but I just wanted to kind of get us to where we're at today. So a couple of things just to keep in mind, I want to mention as some elemental characteristics of these blessings. The first one is kind of a review. Jesus is describing the character of those who are in the kingdom, not defining the entrance into the kingdom. Okay, there's a difference there. And in his, in his description of the kingdom, that's, that's, that's what he's doing. He's, he's telling us what it's about and what it's like. He's not saying that this is defining how you are saved, how you are rescued. And we'll get into that a little bit later. These blessings of God rise above our present circumstances. They're not circumstance-based. We don't, we don't say, oh, I'm blessed because this is how I feel today. Or I'm blessed because here are my circumstances. These go above and beyond that. And we need to keep that in mind. Those who are in Christ, those who are a part of the kingdom, presently possess all of these blessings. Because we only partially experience them now, work with me here, okay, follow this, and won't fully experience them until the kingdom is complete, is irrelevant. We still possess them. They are ours. But it's not going to completely come to fruition until Christ comes, until he makes his kingdom complete. And these blessings are to further inspire how we live and who we live for. All right? So this is kind of a, while we're on the earth here, this is a perpetual thing, right? You're blessed. And so as you're blessed, you want to continue to do this. Because why? Because you'll be blessed. All right? But ultimately, there is going to be an eternal blessing related to all of this, which is why we see the kingdom of heaven really, um, uh, what do you call it, bookending, right? The Beatitudes, okay? So today we'll consider several more character qualities, and then next week we have a couple of more left. But this morning we're going to start with the longing for righteousness. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst describe our need for two of the most basic things that we have to have in life, that sustain life, food and water. You know, if you think about it, breathing just happens. We don't have to think about that. We don't have to go foraging for oxygen, right? We just bring it in and then let it out and bring some more in, and that's how that goes. But food and water, we actually have to do something for, okay? A little bit different maybe back in, than back in the day, so to speak, but we still have to do something for it. And the cravings of hunger and thirst tell us that our body needs something. I'm not talking about, you know, if our tummies rumble a little bit because we haven't had lunch yet, okay? I'm talking about, you know, that hungering and thirsting, right? It's, our bodies are telling us, we, I, I need something. So David then describes spiritual hunger and thirst, which is really what Christ is talking about here, back in Psalm 63. I wanted to look at that verse. Psalm 63.1, and the title of this the titles in the Psalms are actually part of what is written. And it says here, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. We don't know how or why. It could have been when he was a boy, whatever. Could have been when he was fleeing from Saul. I didn't look at it that closely, just frankly. But it says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So here he was really just taking from his surroundings 
right? And maybe even his own experience. And he's like, man, that's, that's my hunger and thirst for you, God. He might have been out there in the heat of the day, and he was tired and hungry and thirsty. And he's like, this, this is my desire for God. So that's what David tells us. Jesus said that the blessed are those who long for righteousness. He's describing the deepest, most basic longings that we have. We talked about that just a moment ago. But precious few times have I ever really experienced intense hunger. You can probably notice that by looking at me, okay? But, you know, I can relate more closely to extreme thirst. And I'm not going to give you a huge story here, but we were hiking one time. It was called Big Bend National Park. And what they tell you about Big Bend is you have to want to go there, right? It's, it's off the beaten path down in Texas. It was summer. It was hot. Uh, we were there to, to see one specific bird literally on the top of a mountain. And uh, I, I took two Gatorades in my backpack. Um, let's just say I needed four or five, okay? Uh, it was hot. I was sweating. And, and by the time I got back down, I was not in great shape. Maggie will tell you she was getting nervous about me, okay? I mean, I had just lost a lot of fluid. And so um, bottom line is I was intensely thirsty. I mean, I, I remember experiencing that. So that's the kind of, of, of craving of, of really basic need and our desire for God and who he is, right? For our hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so here's, here's the promise. The promise is they will be satisfied, all right? Well, where does this satisfaction take place? I want us to, to go through here and see some of the ways that, that uh, this is described uh, through both the New Testament and the prophet Isaiah. John 6.35 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. See, this righteousness is not our own, is it? it it's, it's a righteousness that comes from Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we want to live according to his standard. We want to do what he wants us to do. But the promise is that we will be satisfied. John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Spirit, Holy Spirit, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. A little bit more information on there, isn't it? Now let's go back to Isaiah 55.1. So we've seen what Jesus said. Now we're going to look at really the prophecies that kind of back this up. We've already read this part earlier in our service, but it says... Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you have no money for food, right? That's what we see here. I can add that. Come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And we already know from the context that these are spiritual things. Isaiah 44.3 backs that up. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Now let's go back to John again, all right? So, so far what we have here is we have this hunger and thirst. That hunger and thirst is ultimately satisfied in the Lord himself. John 
4, 13 and 14 says this. Jesus answered and said to her, this is, this is the story of the woman at the well. We looked at this recently, several messages ago. Whoever drinks of, and I, again, I just wanted to make sure we understand, the water from this well that they were talking over will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. The satisfaction from God is eternal life and the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about salvation, about eternal life, about, about having our forgiveness in Christ. But many verses directly connect the work of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit in relation to salvation. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with, with how we talk about salvation, but we do need to include for just a moment. So I want us to, to really see what, what is the part of the Holy Spirit in all this? Because, you know, he does have a part in this. The scriptures tell us that the Spirit gives us eternal life. John 3, verses 5 and 7 say this. Most assuredly, I say to you, as Jesus is talking, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spirit, is spiritual. Do not marvel that I tell you, you must be born again. Now, we, uh, you probably know, but in this context, he was talking to one of the greatest minds of, of, of their day, of Nicodemus. He was one of the high officials with the Pharisees. And Jesus was telling him, don't, don't like, be amazed at this. Don't be startled at this. This, this is the basics. You had to be born again. And it's a spiritual birth. Birth by water, natural birth. Birth by the Spirit, supernatural birth. You need them both. Then I want us to read in Romans chapter 8. Now, folks, this is for illustration purposes. There's a ton in here that we can't go over this morning, and it kind of kills me sometimes, but, but we're going we're gonna to look at verses 1 through 17, and I just want this to wash over you as, as um, uh, Paul now takes the same principles that Jesus just said, and he expounds on those a bit, okay? Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, that word there, walk, quite often in the scriptures when we're talking about this is, is lifestyle, living, okay? Therefore, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We know what that according to Spirit is. We just read it, right? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, or because of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the, of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
Because the carnal mind is enmity, that's, that's against, right? That's, that's be an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's, that's not a maybe, maybe not, that's just a condition, right? If, since, you are a follower of Christ and the Spirit is in you, you have life, right? Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That is that hungering and thirsting after what? Righteousness. Okay? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we, we may also be glorified together. Like I said, folks, that's a lot of information. But what does it tell us? God, the Holy Spirit is integral in our relationship with God himself, right? We believe in the Father, the Son, the Spirit. The triune God is working, worked on our salvation. But think about it for a minute. How could it be any different? God cannot divide himself either in his substance or in his purpose. Right? We believe in God, the three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, the same God. I know, I know, your brain starts to leak, but that's the way it is. That's, that's, that's the revelation that we have from him. Amen. But those three persons, they have different roles within what we call the Godhead, within the Trinity. But all three, all three were a part of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit, the scriptures tell us, make, makes us alive in him. So this, this hungering and thirsting for righteousness first and foremost comes from the fact that God did a miraculous work in our life. And because of that, right, we want to know him. We want to do what he wants us to do. We want to be living according to his will. We talked for a moment about the woman at the well. Um, and in 1 John 4.14, 4, um, it says, it says um, something a little bit different here. It says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the, sent the Son as the Savior of the world. The woman at the well, he, just, he declared, you know, it's me. I, I'm the one who's come, right? But here we see clearly Christ is the Savior. We're, we're not saying that, that, that the Spirit died for our sins. We're saying the Spirit makes us alive through what Christ did. They're all working together, all right? 
So I just want to make sure, again, that we are clear about all this. So then we move on to our next category today, our next, our next um, um, uh, blessing. And it's, it's, blessed are those who are merciful. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Merciful literally means to be full or filled with mercy. A word we use more often um, than, than mercy is compassion. The root meaning of compassion is with emotion. But compassion is different than what we would call sympathy. Sympathy is with emotion too. Uh, sympathy is good, but it really is purely an emotional response. You know, that's like when you're in the store or at the park or something, and a little child falls and skins their knee, and you're like, oh, you know, that, that's sympathy. Compassion, you go and you clean the wound. Okay, compassion or mercy certainly has an emotional response, but it's often accompanied by doing something to lighten or relieve or lift up the other person. So that's the difference. It's kind of sympathy in action. And when we think about what we can do, uh, being people who are compassionate, all we may be able to do is provide sincere prayer, not just, I'll be praying for you, right? But, but actually sincerely praying for someone, give someone some, some form of encouragement. But those can be very important things. I think sometimes we diminish those things. But praying for someone, I mean, let's face it, it's not our prayers that are important there. It's who we're praying to, right? It, it's, it's, it's our asking God to, to have an effect on their life in some way, according to his will. Or again, it might be some, some words that we can use, uh, uh, giving them a Bible verse, sending a note, whatever it might be. Those are important things. At other times, we show compassion in much greater ways. And we just don't have the time to go through all those. But the point is, our compassion can actually cost us. And that's a, actually a good thing. It's a good thing to, to live sacrificially to make a difference in someone's life. Uh, Brother Brian was talking about that this morning, as far as even just how our attitude toward, um, you know, what God has given to us and what he's entrusted to us uh, in our wealth, so to speak. So in all of these different things, we can see that, that there's, there's, there's big things or small things, but I, th I think it's safe to say our world really needs compassion and mercy today. Um, the more we talk about equality and all these other different things, it seems the more violent and the more grittier society gets. Um, I'm going to give you just a quick example. And, and I'm not trying to make a political statement or anything like that. I'm just trying to say this is, this is how the world sees things. I remember recently, recently, right, in the last 10 years or so, some political candidates saying that we need to have a more civil discourse, okay? These same politicians were, were civilly discoursing about the right to kill unborn children, all right? Folks, I don't care how calm and collected and scientific someone sounds. There is nothing civil about talking about murder. And so my point is this. We can smile and say nice words, 
and spew out some really disgusting things. That's not compassion. That's how the world sometimes defines civility and compassion and niceness. It's not the case. As I kind of encourage you and implore you to be a compassionate person, partly because that's, you know, uh, who we should be, who better to act mercifully than those who have been given such mercy beyond measure? 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7 tell us this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You following so far? There's a lot of comforts in here, but it's, we're working, right? For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, another word kind of for comfort there, also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, Paul is talking from his perspective as an apostle. But you see here that he's still talking about what happens to you can make a difference in the life of somebody else because you take the same comfort that God gives you and you render that comfort, you render that compassion to someone else who's going through a difficult time. James says it like this in James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, James is talking about the, the tongue here a little bit in this context uh, and, and, and life and different things like that. But what he's trying to, what, what I see here is, is we have matched here mercy and good fruits compassion, and good works. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So here's the promise. The promise is the merciful will receive mercy. Now, I just got to tell you, this is kind of one of life's gut punches. We certainly won't experience compassion in full measure from this world in this lifetime. It isn't going to happen. Some of you... You have not an excuse, you have a reason why something went wrong at work, why you couldn't make it on time, you fill in the blank, right? You didn't always get compassion from your boss, did you? Understanding, trying to help you. <laughs> I see a lot of smiles. <laughs> well, some of you were the bosses too, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding, but you, you get the idea, right? That doesn't diminish the mercy that God gives his children. Am I right there? That doesn't diminish. That doesn't, that doesn't uh, undervalue the mercy that God has given to us. What did he say to his original 12 disciples? Jesus said in Luke 10, 3, Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Well, that's an encouraging message. Right? Seriously. By the way, guys, I'm going to send you out. It's going to be a little rough. That's this world. He also said this to them. 
Remember, this is in John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. All right, so it works both ways. So how do we justify Christ's promise of receiving mercy? We can rattle off hundreds of examples of unmerciful acts around us, right? Let's just look at the news. The, 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 the murders and, and the, the, the ways that people are harmed. Cold, heartless things done to people every day. That's what we hear about. God's mercy was first shown to us in our salvation, but God's kingdom will be a fully experienced, eternal demonstration of his merciful compassion. Here's the point. We already possess it, but it's coming. That doesn't mean that we can't have that mercy being shown to us today. That is definitely the case. But it will come to fruition when we are with him. And then the next one we see here is pure in heart. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's always going to take a moment, as we continue to do, to familiarize ourselves with the terms, with the words that God uses. Um, in our language, sometimes they're not quite as um, crisp as, as they would be in the Greek. And not, not that there's some deeper meaning here, but, but pure means to be morally clean or innocent. Now, I want to just give us a little side note here. Innocence is a virtue. Being naive is not a virtue. Matthew 10, 16 tells us this, Behold, I send you out as wolves in, in sheep's... Okay, sorry. Same thing we read recently, a little bit different context. He adds something. I meant to say that. Behold, I send you out as, as sheep in the, in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew just recorded a little bit more, right? But what does he say? Be wise. And then Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says this. See then that you walk circumspectly. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible, okay? But it just simply means this. Have your head on a swivel. Look and see what's going on around you. Be aware of your surroundings. What do we tell, particularly women, in parking lots today? Look at your surroundings. See what's happening. Is there a white panel van parked next to your car? Right? I know it's, it's awful. But that's what we do. We tell them, watch what's going, watch what's happening around you. Be aware. So uh, we can all apply this, but I want to speak to parents for just a little bit here. This is an important but especially tricky area for you. It is essential that you instill a thorough biblical and practical understanding of the world. Listen, it's always been evil out there. It always has. Just different challenges for different times. But what do we say and when? How much do we say? That's going to take some wisdom, right? How do we know if they understand what we intended for them to understand? Feedback isn't always easy for young people. At the same time, we have to make sure we instill God's other commands like we've been talking about, gentleness and mercy. 
It will take real contemplation, wisdom, and prayer to really be able to help a younger person, a less experienced person, to be wise and to be aware of what's happening around them. Not just physically, but spiritually as well, obviously. But that's what we need to do. That That's a reality even as we are trying to do what God tells us to do. So now let's define heart. We, we defined pure. Let's define heart. Depending on the context of how this word is used, it can refer specifically to the emotional side of us. Okay? It's our heart, right? Oh, my heart is breaking. We, we all get that. Most of the time, it's all-inclusive, but other times, I'm sorry, but most of the time, it's all-inclusive. I'm sorry about that. I'm struggling a little bit this morning. Uh, so, so when we're talking about all-inclusive, all-inclusive to what? All-inclusive to basically the, the person inside of us, the real us, not our, not our physical, but, but the spiritual side of us, so to speak. It's how we think. It's our motives. It's our emotions. It's all of them all put together. So the heart is who we are. Therefore, purity in heart is a spiritual and moral cleanness that involves every part of our inner person. That's what Jesus is speaking about here. So what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be pure in heart. We're supposed to be clean in every part of us. That's what he calls us to. Blessed are you. And then we go to the promise. The pure in heart shall see God. First Peter declares this very well. Very clearly in Scripture, we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. But as he who called you is holy or set apart from sin, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. As we kind of dovetail that into what we've just looked at, Jesus is clearly teaching that those who lead a morally and spiritually pure life will be blessed. And they'll be blessed by being in God's presence forever. Now, again, I've been really trying to to hit this hard, and 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 I wanted to do it one more time. We must pause and keep in mind that Jesus is describing a blessed person in the kingdom, not defining how we acquire the kingdom. The descriptions of a citizen in the kingdom of God does not rise above the clear conditions for a true faith in God. Did you get that? The description doesn't supersede, doesn't doesn't override, doesn't overpower the conditions. We'll get to that in just a moment. What I want to do now is I want to look at, we're going to kind of break in. We have a couple more um, of these character qualities we're going to look at next week. But I want to break in with what I'm just calling a, a, a relevant parable. A relevant parable related to the Beatitudes. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 21 through 35. Again, this is going to be just giving you what it says and and taking this as an illustration of what Jesus is teaching us here. And frankly, that's a lot of what Jesus was using it for. 
And then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I know for many of us here, that's familiar territory, right? But I thought it was interesting what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now look at, what it, look at this next line. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. Oh, he's tying this back to the kingdom, folks. We got to keep that in mind. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, we'll see why in a minute, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he, the first servant, would not but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had, all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgive you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Now, we do have to couch a little bit of this, okay? We've got to give you some information here. It's important to understand that the primary focus of this story is forgiveness. We will use this lesson, as I mentioned, to illustrate the Beatitudes. Jesus introduces the story as an illustration of the kingdom of heaven, and uses a common storyline of a king and his servants. Jesus is making a point by exaggerating the amounts owed. He's also giving us some facts, um, I mean, some, some not facts, but storyline that, that is not consistent with, with trying to push everything into this. Remember, some of these details don't matter so much, okay? So, for example... God does represent the king here, but is this exactly how he operates? No, no. The, the story is, is what we're talking about here, okay? So as we're looking at here, Jesus is making a point of exaggeration. If we go to the worth of a silver talent, not a gold talent, but a silver talent, then this first servant would have owed his king, in today's dollars, about $225 million. Now, I can imagine... That, uh, and by the way, um, could he pay it back? No, no. And that, that was the whole point of it. But can you imagine calling your bank or credit card company today and saying, hey, you know that loan that I have out for over $250 million? Yes. Um, could, could you just forgive that for me? And they say, sure. I didn't earn any money, but what you owed is gone. Right? Of course, that wouldn't happen. But 
But this is God, our King. He did forgive every one of us something that we could not pay back, something that was completely and totally impossible. It was, it was beyond anything that we could possibly imagine to earn back from, which is why it's so futile to try to do that. Conversely, his fellow servant, and now there are some translations that say he owed him a few dollars. That's not really true. Um, if we looked at it again with our dollars, four months pay would be about six thousand dollars as far as how you know their their level of pay. So it was a, it was a sum. There was something that he owed him. Could he have paid that back eventually? Yeah, it was possible. The spiritual condition illustrated for the first servant toward his fellow servant is the focus of this. He was harsh, violent, and unforgiving. He was selfish and he was self-righteous, wasn't he? This person is the total opposite of someone who acknowledges their own spiritual bankruptcy and is sorrowful for their sin. It's the complete reverse of humility, of being gentle, and of being a merciful or compassionate person. He showed zero compassion for his fellow servant. And he can't be any farther from someone who strongly desires to, be a, to have a righteous heart and live a righteous life. So even though I'm sharing a topic we'll be covering a little bit later, you probably saw in our reading the next character quality is peacemaker. He certainly wasn't a peacemaker either. Now we can't miss the main lesson that Jesus gives here. Forgiveness is serious business especially when we consider God's forgiveness of our debt. An unforgiving spirit toward just one fellow Christian can have very serious consequences in our life. Remember, Jesus broke from the story, and he said, I'm paraphrasing wildly here, don't think that there won't be any consequences if you hold something against somebody else. So, children... And parents, parents and children, spouses, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have that thing, that offense that you're holding on to, understand there are consequences. You know, we say sometimes, right? Well, you should forgive because when you hold on to that, it hurts you more than them, right? <laughs> That's only the half of it. God is not pleased with us. Jesus told this whole story so that we understand you need to forgive. But the basis of that is the amazing forgiveness that we've received in Jesus. I accuse no one in here, no one in here of doing that. But I simply say if that's the case, you know, you do have a big problem. You need to go to God with it. So now let's, let's, let's bring this all together. And part of that's going to be even looking, looking back at this. We started with some opening reminders. I want to give you them as closing reminder again so that we just kind of keep things nice and tight. Jesus is describing the character of those who are in the kingdom, not defining entrance into the kingdom. 
These blessings of God rise above our circumstances. Those who are in Christ presently possess all these blessings. The fact that they are only partially realized now or, or won't really come to fruition totally until the future, right, until the kingdom comes, is completely irrelevant. We still have them. And these blessings are to motivate us to continue to live the life that God wants us to live, to live his way and to live for him. So our conclusion cannot be, oh, that person is a kind, moral, compassionate, peace-loving person. Jesus promised them that they will be in the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that a person who is blessed, happy, favored by God, will have these characteristics. We cannot forget that Jesus first um, um, uh, said what was given to us in chapter 4 of Matthew. Look at this, verses 13 through 17. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in the darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, I have all that in there. You're like, why'd you put all that in there? Because everything that we're talking about is a fulfillment of prophecy. Everything that we're talking about here is what God said his son would bring, right? And so then, what's Jesus' message? This is what he starts with. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not judging somebody's character. The criteria is, have you changed your heart and mind from sinfulness to faith in Christ? And then if you'll please, we referenced Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus earlier. In John chapter 3, verse 7, it says this, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Remember that? Now turn in that chapter. and We're going to start in verse 16. As a matter of fact, just for time, I'm just going to read that to you. It says, and some of these are familiar verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and the men love darkness rather than light rather than, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, and his deeds shall be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So it brings us back to the, the full reality that the criteria is whether or not we have faith in Christ not whether or not we're a good and nice person. That, is, that determines whether we are in the kingdom. But faith will produce a life consistent with what we believe. The parable of the wicked servant describes someone who doesn't, and it was a very specific thing about his lack of forgiveness, right? But look at what that lack of forgiveness produced in his life. Now, now, 
according to, to my understanding of that passage, he's still in the kingdom. But on this earth, he's got a problem. He's going to suffer. There's going to be some consequences for that lack of forgiveness. So the, this list of blessed qualities should, be, should describe our life at school, at work, waiting in line, at home, and even when no one else is around. That is what these qualities ought to be demonstrating, that we are a child of the kingdom. If we're being described, there should be some resemblance here. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is saying. And oh, by the way, look at all of the blessings that come along with it. Are you poor in spirit? Are you, are you a humble person? Do you understand your, your, where you are before God? Right? As a child of God, you have the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. Do, do, do you struggle over your own sin? Or is it just passe? It's nothing. If, 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 if that bothers you, if, if you're even mourning over the sin that you see around you, you will be comforted. It's going to happen. It will happen in this life, yes. But man... That comfort is going to take place completely and totally in heaven, in God's kingdom. Are you a gentle person? Are you a kind person? You're going to be an inheritor of God's kingdom on earth. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is that a characteristic of yours where you want to do the right thing? You want to please God? We've already seen. You're going to be filled. We're already filled in one sense when it comes to our salvation. But again, our salvation, so to speak, isn't complete yet. We, we're, not, we're not fully there yet. But in the kingdom, we will be. Are you a compassionate person? Is that something that, that people see in you? Is that what you demonstrate? God's going to be compassionate on you. He already has. But that compassion is going to last again for eternity. Do you have a pure heart? Are you trying to live a holy life? You're going to see God. Those are the characteristics that we've seen so far. Those characteristics are the observable things based upon the faith that is already there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we know that we don't measure up. What you're talking about here, again, is a lifestyle. You're talking about a heart and mind that is bent toward, that is dedicated to you because of what you have given to us. And even as we think of, of that wicked servant, the one that, that you have to discipline. Because there's that one other servant that they, they just can't forgive or won't forgive. Lord, it's just a warning to us that um, that's not acceptable to you, even from one of your children. And that just illustrates, Lord, any number of things that we could have in our life that, that we need to get rid of. But Father, as, as we just consider 
the kind of person that, that we are to be living like, really everything points back to Christ. He lived a perfect sinless life. Everything about his life was, was for, for us, for others. Doing your will. On and on we could go. No, he did not have to mourn over his sin. <laughs> but he sure suffered for ours. And so we thank you that your word tells us that if we're hungry, if we're thirsty, come. First, as someone who does not know you, who does not have a relationship with you, if these words have penetrated someone's heart and they now have that hunger and thirst to know you, Lord, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself as only you can. We're dependent upon that. Father, if we are working at this life, hopefully not in our own strength, but even as we read that we're living by the Spirit, I pray, Lord, that we will hunger and thirst for you and your righteousness. That we will seek to demonstrate that in, in all the different ways that you have illustrated here. Because ultimately, it's a celebration and a furtherance of your kingdom. It, it's showing us whose children we are. It's showing us, it's showing the world who we are, where we are citizen of. It's your kingdom. And that's what we're supposed to be living for. So I pray, Father, that you will work whatever part of our life that you need to touch and that we'll take those necessary steps, that we won't just be a hearer, but we'll be a doer. That we'll take these character qualities very seriously, but that we'll also be reminded of the tremendous blessings that we have of being your child, even in our imperfection. You, you, your, your blessings, they don't fall short. We love you for that, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.